Welcome to the DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, aka Blender Ed, Blender HD on Twitter. And this is the show where we kind of go over a little bit of yesterday's results. We go, we go a little bit over uh, today's slate. We talk about general DFS strategy. If you have questions and you're in the YouTube chat, I care about you the most because you come here live. If you're listening on the podcast feed, feel free to rate and review it on iTunes. But the YouTube people, they're my favorite. I see them in the chat right now. Card fan, Shane Newman, RCL, Mike D, Drew P, right? Just like Romper Room. I'm looking through that little little mirror saying people's names. Hit that thumbs up button. Hit the thumbs up. Hit the subscribe. Hit the notification bell. Keep my apple juice cold. I, I got the regular apple juice today. But uh, on Mondays, as normal here on the pregame show, I bring in my co-author, of the theory of daily fantasy sports, you can pick it up. 15-hour audio DFS masterclass at theoryofdfs.com. It's uh, Mondays with McCool, James McCool, paydirt underscore DFS on Twitter. And uh, you were you were complaining to me before before we went on that you're 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 done you're you're done MMEing the 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 eight to fifteen dollar DraftKings uh, contest because uh, even though that that it only a month in. It was your goal in the beginning of the season. Like I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to play these large field contests. Like I, like, like I did, like we kind of switched, right? I went from, I'm playing 60 to 80 lineups in large field and trying to bink one or two a year. And I have, and then I'm going like, well, do I want to rely on that? Cause the swings are, are ridiculous. So now I'm playing more of the small field, single entry, three max contests. You went the other way. You're like, no, I'm, I'm going to win the hundred thousand first place. One of these times, if I could do it, you could do it. Uh, and uh, you, you told me that a month in, you're already sick of it. I am sick of it. I'm really annoyed. Uh, I just like, MME is so hard. Are and you playing Are you playing 150 lineups? No, I'm playing 50. Okay, okay. So very similar to me where right. you're not, because if you're playing 150, you probably, you'd be, you'd be, I look at the, I think you have a couch in the back. You'd be. <laughs> I wouldn't have there. that couch anymore. I wouldn't have, you know, a house. I, like I would be getting just slammed. Um, no, I, I'm doing 50 lineups. Um, and uh, MME is hard. It is such a different way of thinking than single entry. It's a different way of thinking than three max. Um, and the way that I have always been conditioned and the way that I've always been best at is by doing single entry three max building five lineups like in league of legends i build five lineups i have a very dedicated strategy that i use for that in csgo i build three lineups i know what i'm doing there in nfl i know what i'm doing there with one three lineups but when it comes to mme when it comes to building you know 30 40 50 lineups it's such a different idea and managing the exposures and managing your different portfolio of players and trying to figure out where to take your stands like i know where to take a stand when i build one lineup I know where I can hedge myself if I build five lineups. Like I, I know that, but extrapolating it forward and learning how to play an optimizer like a freaking fiddle, that is much more difficult. And it's something that I've been trying to challenge myself to do. And I'm just getting crushed. And it's like, there, there are some things, I switched things up a little bit. I tweaked something about two weeks ago where I was trying to like use a little bit more of a floor strategy rather than ceiling strategy. And that, that was nice in terms of instead of losing 90% of my, my in play, 
I was then only losing about 65% of my employee, which is cool. That's great. And I understand that that's like something you should aim for. But I, I am here to tell you that as somebody who is a good player in single entry to three max, if you throw 50 in there, you don't just automatically win the tournament. Like I am very down right now and I'm annoyed about it, but I also understand that it takes time to hit that one or two banks. And as soon as I hit it, like I'm going to be fine. But as of now, I'm super frustrated and annoyed. And uh, I'm sure, Jordan, that you understand the super frustrated and annoyed part of it. Yeah, if, 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 you, if you're playing seriously, if you're playing DFS, especially GPP seriously, I, I say this, if you've never experienced this, you're not playing seriously. At least once a year, at least once, if not more, once or twice a year, you should, you should have a downswing where you consider like, why am I, either one or two things i was never good at this game like oh I, I i guess i guess i don't got it anymore or i was lucky in the past and you seriously contemplate like like i think going to a nine to five job is so much more this this would be so much easier where i just get a paycheck and not have to worry about this but if you're not saying that to yourself like once or twice a year then you're probably not playing seriously enough it, it, it's really true and when when you're building uh, lineups for these large field top heavy payout GPPs. I mean, I mean, James, do you, do you think that you're building good lineups? Like there's a difference to me between like optimizers and exposures. To me, it's an efficiency tool to build good lineups. Do you think that if you were to hand build 50 lineups that they would be better or you're just, you're not conditioned because I, I'll I'll tell you my thing from the other side of the spectrum. Uh, playing single entry three max, uh, it's that balance of playing the good plays, playing a highly projected lineup with some leverage in it, versus some of these large field contests where you're like you have to you're playing lineups that like do not project well, like they, that that seriously are like I have to hope that this the chalk monster busts and then this game goes off and i have three guys from the game from in, in single digit ownership and if that goes to overtime or that or those then i could i could win i could beat eighty thousand entries but it's so two totally different mindsets where where is it that you're having trouble with with managing 50 lineups or do you believe that you're not even building necessarily not bad lineups but not high the highest win equity lineups. Yeah, it's, I mean, I think that it's probably mostly along the lines of having issues trying to manage through the 50 lineups with all the news that we have had in this season. And I have said before, and I, I talked about it probably last year, maybe the year before that or something like that, where I think that when a, a DFS player goes from strictly playing DFS to then being a content provider, there is kind of like a, an adjustment period of trying to like manage both of those things, because there's a reason why a lot of like the really, really good DFS players are not providing content. And it's because they make more money from actually playing and like dedicating that time to themselves. Well, dedicating, well, uh, let me get it straight. It's not necessarily you make more money playing. I make more money playing. It comes down to uh, I'm not on crunch time on Roto Grinders a half an hour before lock. So I get to, I, right. I can make a hundred lineups. Like when, when I used to say, I mean, I don't, I, I have, I, I don't, because I'm doing these shows in the morning, 
I have a much bigger advantage because I'm not doing the pre-lock type of shows. Right. But whenever I did on the weekends, when I when I did Crunch on the weekends, and they're like, "Oh, how how much of this guy do you have in your hundred lineups?" It's like, dude, I made three lineups. Like, yeah. I can't do a hundred lineups and then still be doing this show at lock when fifteen minutes. Like, I could change during a show. Oh, Bradley Beal is out. Let me play Russell Westbrook in like one lineup. But you that happens during the show, and then I'm just burning my money because I'm not going to be able to to also do the show and manage a hundred lineups mm-hmm. so that's really what you mean by like you, yeah. you you don't you don't see many of the top players on a specific night that always do like pre-lock type of content especially in nba i mean even like last night i mean it doesn't even matter we could use any night trey young and clint cabella are out i mean like you're gonna yeah. you're gonna have to change stuff after lock blow it all up Right. right, you just blow it off. People are in the Discord making lineups at uh, at eleven in the morning, and I, I'm wondering, it's like until that five thirty p.m. Eastern injury report comes out, like all I'm doing throughout the day is just kind of like pondering strategies, pondering, kind of like yeah, that I, that could work, this could yeah. work, but I'm not building anything until you know the hour and a half before when the injury report comes out. Oh, not LeBron is going to sit today, or this guy is going to play, or you know did. COVID, oh, the chalk game has just got just got wiped off the board. Uh, so you're you're having, especially in NBA, you probably when MLB comes up, maybe that's a better foray yeah. for you into into MME style because especially because I'm better at MLB. Like NBA, I think that my models are very good, but when I'm having to rerun the models every five minutes, uh, the thirty minutes, or, or like the hour up to lock as a content provider and like taking care of my subscribers and doing that kind of thing. And then also having to go into lineup HQ and be like, okay, what, what do I have to change here? Like what new rules do I have to put in? What new exposure caps do I have to put in? Like, what do I have to do in terms of like, okay, well this game has now been canceled. So I have to take all that exposure and put it somewhere else. And then more news comes out and then it's another nine minutes to rerun all, all the models. And then another three minutes to relook at my exposures and like, I, I think that NBA, one of the hardest things for me has been managing in MME style, because in single entry, I'm still doing okay. Like when I'm able to actually like just sit down and focus on one entry, three entries, I can do that in NBA. But the MME in NBA has been really, really hard in managing all those lineups as a content provider. I think that if I didn't have to rerun all those models, I'd be doing better because frankly, I'm not sure if all of my lineups are good. Like I know that 10 to 20 of my lineups are good because I can get that far down the list before another piece of news comes out. And then I can like reassess, but then like after that, it's, you know, it's squirrely. So right. to answer and that, and, that ha- and that happens for the best of us. There's yeah. there have been many times where I'm building a hundred lineups where some news comes out 12 minutes before that changes everything. And it gets to like it's two minutes before lock, and I'm or I'm still tweaking stuff, and I'm still going through lineups, and I see that clock running, and I know locks in two minutes, and then I just say I press build again. I go whatever this is, that's what's going in. Yep, that's and what you're loading in. That's what I'm loading. And if I make late swaps later, so be it. Whatever. But as of right now, I have 58% cam reddish. Oh my. Okay, let's let's hope that works out because I can't find a small forward to jam into some lineups. Yeah. That happens. Imagine when people say, oh, you have 150 lineups. How, how do you not win? I mean, uh, dude, if you're playing multiple, look at a lot of the professional players that play 
150 on multiple sites. And it's a streamlined process. Like you have to get your process down. You have to first be good enough strategically to build enough good lineups out of 150. A lot of the 150 players will even admit to say that, yeah, a, a lot of times their last, you know, 20 or 30 lineups may, may be pretty crap. Uh, but, you know, they're, they're, they're looking to make it up on volume in general. Uh, but that, that, that managing all of that, like it's, it's, it's a war of attrition, like making sure that every single one of your 150 is like plus EV. Like it, it's, it's nearly impossible if you're playing 450 lineups across three sites, four sites, whatever it is. Uh, but relying on the strat, number one, strategically being sound, that you're not just pumping in, just like pressing a button and just going whatever it is it is. But then also uh, being being able to, uh, I don't even remember what I was going to say. I forgot. Because you have to be strategic and then you, you also have to have to be able to, to enter everything in and you make it up. You, you make it up in volume. I'm going to make as many plus EV lineups as possible and play every day, multiple contests, all that type of thing. So the one lineup that wins here, one lineup that wins there, there's, there's a process behind it. A lot of people don't have a process. A lot of people don't have a strategy. I think those are the two things that you put together. Our, our book, our audio course, 15-hour audio DFS masterclass, theoryofdfs.com, covers the strategy, right? Okay, these, these are the concepts you need to weigh in order to build plus EV lineups. End of story. Now, the process of how you get there, well, I mean, if it's going to take you five hours, like that's going to be untenable, uh, especially in NBA where if news changes, like, like yes, if, if I could hand build 150 lineups, I'm probably going to make them better than using an efficiency tool like Lineup HQ. But just it's not feasible time-wise to, to, to do that. So I, I need to come up with a process where I could generate as many plus CV lineups as I can. That's why I, that's why I always stuck with like 50. Number one, it reduces your variance. So I'm not playing 150 lineups and I'd rather make 50 good lineups than 50 good lineups, 50 okay lineups and 50, ah, who knows what line, lineups there are. So focusing first on the strategy and then on the process. A lot of people go to the second automatically. They go, well, what's the process? What buttons do I press in the optimizer? It's like, well, have you devised a strategy yet? Where are you finding leverage in some of these lineups? Where are you finding leverage in some of those lineups? Where, I mean, you could have a strategy, you could have a strategy where it's just like, I'm going to build 50 lineups that all are, all are doing the same thing, right? Everyone's paying down at center. I'm paying up at center and jamming that in 50 times. Yeah, sure. But you could also have one where you'd, you're doing one strategy for 10 lineups, another strategy for 10 lineups, another strategy. That's where the exposures come in to like make sure you have these types of lineups and then those types of lineups and then these types of lineups. And in the beginning, I had to do that by building separate sets. So I would go, okay, let me build, let me build 10 lineups like this in, in an optimizer. I'll build 10 lineups, 20 lineups like this, then another 20 lineups like this, and then another 20 lineups like this, and then I have 60 lineups and I cut them individually of each build into my CSV. And then you start getting good on doing kind of like the ballpark math in your head with the exposures and go, well, if I'm gonna have 20 lineups like this, that means I'm gonna have, a, have to have a cheap shooting guard 
So who's the cheap shooting guard? So I need to make sure to have 20% of that guy. And then if I'm building with, with the high end center, I need to have a small forward. That's like 4,500. So I look through and I go, okay, I guess that guy's going to be in those lineups. So you kind of have to ballpark that. But to me, that's part of the process. Like I've already come up with a strategy. It's just a matter of, well, how do I, how do I input this into lineup HQ to generate those lineups? But obviously it all starts from the strategy and by hand building. I've said this in Discord. I've done this before. If you're having a trouble with your process, hand build 20 lineups. You, you could practice this. You don't, you could do this right now. It won't be the 20 lineups that you play tonight or anything. The hand build 20 lineups. Come up with a strategy for some lineups, a different strategy for other lineups, and just hand build 20 lineups. Now you have your 20 lineups. Now go into lineup HQ and based on, you look at those hand-built lineups, you can even put it up on the drafting screen and then try to try to get those lineups in lineup HQ by in a 20, in a 20 build at once and go, well, you look at, you look at your lineups and you go, well, I have about 50% of this guy. I have, you know, 20% of that guy. And you look through all of that and you go, okay, well, let me put those in. And I go, okay, well, I'm, I'm, I'm using kind of the same core of players. So there's no lineup there that has more than like three uniques. So you set it to three uniques. Like you, you use all the settings to like, let, can I generate those lineups? And then you do it iteratively. So it's not like you have to put all of them in at once. So you do a, a little, okay, I know I want to do X, Y, and Z. You put that in and then you press the button, see what 20 come up. You may see some like, okay, this looks sort of close, but not exactly. And then you go, okay, what do I need to do in order to get, oh, oh, I, I didn't play, I didn't play three guys from the same team. Cause this line, you look at one of the lineups and it's like, oh, there's three guys from the Mavericks. In, and I only, I didn't play Burke and Hardaway together, but this lineup has Burke and Hardaway. So now you go to the groups and you group them out. So you go through all those things and then you may not be able to get the exact 20 lineups, but you should be able to come pretty damn close that if you, if you, if you practice enough. And then once you get good at that, then you no longer have to hand build anymore. Now you could just visualize what types of lineups that you want to build and then put them into the builder. So like James from someone that has come from the hand building one to three lineups type of thing. Uh, it's uh, it's much easier than it looks. It's much yeah. harder than it looks. Yeah. It's, it's a lot harder. I mean, when you, when you go in and by the way, that's, that's fantastic strategy that I would tell anybody to, to try to replicate, go in, try to make 20 lineups by hand and then try to replicate them in lineup HQ um, or whatever optimizer you use. Um, it's a really, really good strategy. And when, when you're trying to replicate those things, th there are two different things that you're going to realize. Either one, you're going to realize, Hey, here's a process that I should utilize to build the lineups that I have made or two you're going to realize that the hand-built lineups that you made maybe weren't very good because like if you can't replicate it in an optimizer you're probably not building optimal lineups by hand well you're not you're not you're, you're the projection of your lineups are probably going to be right are way be so low that even like you have to do so much in order to not get as many median projected points. Right. So there, there are two different realizations you can come to. And I think that a lot of people like, 
I, I talk to a lot of people about their MME and, and about the way that they look at things. And um, it's that there are some times when you really shouldn't be MME. And, and that's another thing. Like with, with me, I think that I can build good MME lineups. But I think that right now, with the amount of time that I have, I don't know if I can consistently. And I can, I can be honest with myself on that. And I think that a lot of people can also be honest with themselves on that, that the, you need to develop the process first and say, this is how I'm going to get those lineups. And this is how I'm going to set these things and like develop that process first. Otherwise, you, you should just be handled it. Right. I, I mean, I, that's how I feel. It, but, but you should even have a process to hand build. I mean, right. Like, but if, you like you're, process, if you don't have a process to hand build, how can you ever have a process to MME? Right. Or use an optimizer to MME. We use that term that doesn't, that just means right. you're, you're, you're using a tool in order to make multiple entries. I know people that hand build 50 lineups. I mean, that's technically still MMEing, right? I'm multi, massively multi-entering. Yeah, yeah, in an insane way. Yeah, for sure. You can definitely do it that way if you want to. You can do it for like NFL. You can do it for like PGA. I used to hand build like 20, 30 lineups for NFL because you have all week to do it. And then like you can just kind of make adjustments on the Saturday and Sunday news reports. But for NBA, man, that's, I, I do not have the heart to be hand building 50 lineups and like going through all that stuff for NBA. That's crazy stuff. So how, how did you come to the realization? I mean, I mean, it's very easy to figure out, but I mean, the, the overall that, uh, that MMEing NBA for the past month is, is you've gotten to the point where you've given up. Uh, well, let's see. I opened up my Roto tracker and I got sad. <laughs> That's how I did it. Yeah. But, but I mean, we talk about, we talk about this in the course that, like realistic results and like in GPP, you're going to lose if you're playing well over 90% of slates. So it's, so when you say that you're sad, it's not like you were sad and surprised. No, you would just say you, you, you knew, you, you knew what you were going to look at before you looked at it. Yeah. And, and when I say that I was sad, I don't necessarily mean that I'm sad that I lost money. Like I'm not sad that I lost money. What I'm sad at is that my finished positions are sitting more in the middle than they are at the top. Like I'm not having these, these one V one trades. I'm not having these coin flips to where I would be finishing. Currently I have about 1.3% of my total lineups finishing in the top 1%. And that's just not going to cut it. Well, I mean, that's going to, that's going to be a break. That's like a break even type of. Yeah. Yeah. Like at the end of the year, I might break even with 1.3% of my total lineups being built, finishing the top 1%. But with the vast majority finishing somewhere between like the 30 and 50%, that's just not going to cut it. So I know just looking at my roto tracker, it doesn't matter that I'm down, you know, however much I'm down, a couple grand. It, it matters that I'm not building lineups that are finishing high enough to give me a coin flip result where I can actually finish first in a GPP. So looking at that, I know that I'm not building the quality of lineups that I need to be building. So I need to take a step back and I need to reevaluate. And maybe I shouldn't be MMEing for NBA because I just don't have time. Maybe I go back and I reassess and I try again in MLB where I have a little bit more time where uh, batting orders are a bit more consistent. There's less news that I have to deal with before the slate starts. But looking at my Roto Tracker, that, that's one of the easiest ways to tell if you are doing well enough to continue doing something and to find the weaknesses that you have and to find the leaks that you have. 
Um, Jordan, I, I know that you use our tracker religiously. So right, I'll, like, I'll even I'll even bring it up. I wanted to even yeah show yeah, you. That's, that's it. I'm transparent, so I I just show everything. Yeah. Because uh, while I have that cash bankroll tracker on here, this is you know so I could track publicly with just you know my cash lineup and everything. Like in Roto Tracker, you can't I can't just do that publicly because you log in and you start uploading stuff that who knows. I can't let you do that. So 33 days played. So we're talking about a pretty, we're talking about a very small sample size, James. So like, there's a difference. We'll show it. That's why you, like, you mentioned the finishing positions. Like there's a difference between uh, the results being bad and you not playing well. Like you have to separate the results from the process, like that type of thing. So when you look at a profit graph like this, this just shows your results. This, I mean, you could be playing well and losing money. Now, a lot of this is cash games. So yes, obviously, you know, 33 days, even, even of cash game play is still a small sample size. But so far this season uh, in NBA, so I have it, you could sort all of this stuff in, in Roto Tracker. Uh, so for this season, I'm currently up $16,309. It's pretty good from, 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 my, from my perspective, from my goals. Uh, but obviously I could have a downswing and be, 33 days from now, I could be at zero again. I mean, like it, it's like this, this thing goes up and down, especially in GPPs. But since I'm not playing the large field GPPs, like I don't expect the, the swings to be that dramatic. But if we, if we separate this by category now, you'll see that you'll see the difference because this looks all well and good now. But if I go by category and I'm going to do max lines three, so we could separate double ups, head to heads, and then others, which would be GPPs. So we can take a look, the head-to-heads, okay, going up, right? Double-ups is gonna be a lot of bigger swings because either you're most likely to win a whole bunch and lose a whole bunch. But take a look at this gray line. This is the line of a GPP player, right? You go down, 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 big spike. And then a slow bleed, 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 bleed. And you hope for the next big spike. Yeah. Like that's... That's the GPP player, right? You shouldn't be, if you, you it's never, it's not going to be a straight line. It's not going to be a, a hockey, it's going to be a hockey stick once, two, three, four times a season. But throughout that time, it's just going to be a steady drip, 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 drip. And this is the main reason why I do play cash games. Not because I make a ton off cash games, is because you could see here, if I just played GPPs, these are what my swings would be. Like I would have gone from, a high point of uh, 12,400 on the 13th, which is 12 days ago, down to 7,800. So like, that would be a swing of about five grand, which in the course of 33 days at my stakes level is a, it's, it's hefty enough. So five grand downswing, which, is, which has not stopped yet. So this could continue for another two weeks and be a 10 grand downswing. But now we switch back to if I take off this cohort of the three and put it back to just all of it combined, you don't really see that down. You, you don't really see it. I mean, you see a little, but it, it's kind of it's kind of smoothed out. So that's the purpose of why I play cash games well enough. Obviously, if you're a horrible cash game player, you just continually go down with your GPP results. But this is this is how I determine. This is how I look, and and how how am I doing? The same thing as as what I'm doing here with this little graph 
for the cash games, for the for my cash game lineup. So you look at this. Now, this will show you results. Okay. This is what happened 33 this for 33 days, which let me make clear is a blip of a sample size, right? If you look at the, the, for the I, oh my, I got to change everything. I got to quit I, in two directions. I got to quit my job and I'm going to do this full time. Don't do that in 33 days sample size. And also don't do, I can't play this game anymore. I quit forever. Like don't do any of that. But then we go to finish position and here in Roto Tracker, what it will do, I have to set it to GPPs because I do play because it's just hundred man contests, which also includes double ups and stuff like that. So I go to GPPs and it'll analyze how many entries finished in the top X percent. So these are 10% buckets. We go to 1% buckets because most of the, most of the payout is in the 1%. Okay. So like my finished position this year in one top 1% is 2.2%. Obviously, obviously my, the, the number of entries is lower because I'm playing like only five entries a night, right? Cause I'm playing the single entry three max. If you're playing 150 entries, you get a lot more sample size, a lot more lineups. So you can see here in, in my 33 days of playing that if you're getting a larger portion than your fair share, that's where your equity lies. Mm -hmm. So you want to see less in obviously under the pay line, which in GPPs is at least under 25%. Mm -hmm. So anything that you see from like finishing position, like 22 to 25% and below is this is technically the same amount of money, but you're looking primarily at the top end. So we see here, like what was your finishing position percentage for one per, the top 1%? 1.3%. Right, and mine is 2.2%. But yeah. it's also, but that's reflected in the results because I did come in first and second into single entry GPPs. And they're but, vastly different GPP types as well. Right, right, of course. Uh, so if... You have a top 1% finish. Now, top 1% finish in, let's say, a 500-person GPP means the top five. If you're playing a 50,000-person GPP, a top 1% finish is in the top 500. Now, we know in large-field GPPs, it's like 100,000 to first, 40,000 to second, 20,000 to third, by the time you get to 10th place, it's not even a, barely a thousand. So 500th place is like a three X maybe. Right. Mm -hmm. But it still counts as a top 1% finish based on that contest. So a lot of the difference between coming in 10th and coming in first is like, is, is variance of like, you can't of so little. So what you're doing by looking at these screens is have I placed a more than my fair share of lineups in the top 1% and don't have the finish, the top finish to show for it? Because really that's all you're doing in GPPs is giving yourself, building lineups that give yourself the opportunity to win. Realizing that win, that's, that's variance. That's up in the air. You can't control one basket, one bucket, guy gets into foul trouble, blowout. The last five minutes of the game, 
oh, I've, I'm, I'm in 12th place and I'm seven points behind third. And third is 10 grand and 10th and 12th is 700. And ups, up, the game blew out. I, I didn't get there. And you're like, you look and you have three guys from the game and it's like, all I need is seven points, right? And then I need another, I need another seven to win. And ups, it's like, up, it doesn't happen, but that shows up as a top 1% finish. So really you're looking at where do your lineups lie to judge your process, not your results. Because you could get lucky the other way. Like if I came here, if, if I'm up in GPPs and my top 1% finish rate is 0.4%, right? That means you built a lot of lineups that did not get the opportunity to win and you just got lucky in one of them and now you now you have $100,000 and you probably weren't playing well, right? Probably won't have that $100,000 for too long. Right, you won't have it for too long. But of course, we're just looking at a 33 slate sample size. Now, this is based on this, like what I'm showing on the screen is my, I'm playing primarily single entry three max. Now let me take off uh, the 2021. So let me go for my entire NBA playing career, if you want to call it. And let's see what that looks like. Yeah. Okay. So now, now this includes all the large field GPP play and everything like this. So now my top 1% finishes 1.4%. But I also have a lot in this high from the 22% range on more than my fair share and a lot of on, on the cash line. But this still shows that I still probably play a little too, a little too much projection and not enough leverage, right? Like I'm more likely, I'd rather have this line be up more and these lines be down more than how flat they are here. This is still profitable play. Like that, we're still looking. Obviously, you know, I've I've uh, one hundred and seventy-seven thousand dollars profit at NBA over this time period. But so it's still profitable play, but it's not the most profitable play. If you look at this and you and you see a lot more, you're getting your more of your fair share down here and not enough up there. Then you, your results probably show that you're that you're negative. And if your results don't show that you're negative, that means you've gotten on the You've gotten on a very good side of variance. So really what this finishing position screen shows in Roto Tracker, if you get it, uh, is, your, is more of the, the byproduct of variance. Are you on the good side or bad side of variance? Because if you're on the good side of variance, uh, that means that you could be playing poorly. And if you're on the bad side of variance, it could mean that you're playing well and just it's not, and it's just not showing. So this, so this is what you mean by you're looking through in a 33 day sample size of your MME play and going, uh, it's not because you've lost that you want to dial it back. It's because you just, you don't think you're playing well enough. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, you, you know, it's one of those things, there, there's two lessons that I think are really important in that thought of one, being honest with yourself. You really need to, to be honest with the way that you play and with how much you should play and where you should be playing. And two, your bankroll management needs to be tight because you can look at things like this with your finishing percentages and with your profits. And you, you can look at this stuff and say, okay, well, I, I've been getting unlucky and I need, and, and eventually, hopefully things turn around the variance. Hopefully you have a hit this NBA season, but still you need to be taking care of your bankroll the same way. And you need to be looking at it and say, okay, well, if I have $5,000 to play with each month. 
and you're on a downswing, you you need to be dropping down in stakes maybe. You know, maybe instead of playing the $8, if I do continue to be masochistic and continue to try to MME, I should be dropping down into the 4 or the $3 or something like that. Maybe the $1 for a little while. Uh, things like that, you, you need to be able to drop down and you need to be able to be honest with yourself. Uh, too many people get caught up and, and there's too many people that succumb to the gambler's fallacy and there's too many people that look at their DFS play and almost have an ego about it. You can't have an ego when you're analyzing your results. You need to be able to be honest with yourself. And um, with with me having a 1.3% top 1% finish rate, like I know, and, and I remember it specifically, I woke up one morning and I had Anthony Davis going. I was in like 60th place. And I woke up in 22nd place with him having 35 fantasy points instead of a regular median outcome, which would have had me the $8. But I don't know that I can continuously, consistently put together lineups of that fashion. So I can't look at that and be like, oh, I have to try to chase that. It was a good lineup. I don't know that I can continue to consistently build those good of lineups. So being honest with yourself, I think, is really important. Um, Jordan is right that it has only been 33 days. I shouldn't give up on my my MME dreams for NBA yet. Um, but but, but it's just but it's dreamed like. Like you had, you had a goal. You said, I'm going to try to do this. And it's perfectly fine to 33 days in to go, well, I'm going to shift, but like, like, I, I, I don't like this. I, 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 you think your edge is in, is in a different area. Like same for me, for instance, like I'm playing like tonight, there's 10 games on the slate. Normally I'd be like time to fire up 80 lineups. Right. Cause there's so many leverage points. Like, no, I'm most probably going to be playing like maybe five, maybe, maybe I, maybe eight uh, small field lineups. And maybe I get to the point where either I have to weigh that essentially what you have to do in your head is where is my edge, right? You have to figure where do I out, where do I deploy my, my allotment of bankroll for that slate? Do I do it here or do I do it there? Right. That that's really what you because you, you're you're only playing a percentage of your bankroll, right? To avoid risk of ruin. So you got to allocate it somewhere. Now, obviously, I'm allocating a bunch to cash games, so that's already taken care of. And then I have to look at GPPs and go, well, now what percentage do I allocate here? But where? It's not just GPPs in general. Do I have a bigger edge in small field contests versus large field contests? Now I have never focused so much on the smaller field contest. So to me, it's ambiguous of do I, or do I not? I don't know. That's the reason why I'm doing it to see, do I have a bigger edge here or do I have a bigger edge in large field? In large field, you get so many casual dead lineups in there that just from an intellectual level, that's why I've, that's why I've always focused on them. Like my, my whole thing, just like in poker, I just want to play against the worst players possible. That's it. Like, I don't care what the format, I'll play Parliament Omaha, I'll play Omaha high-low, I'll play stud eight, I'll play whatever the hell it is, as long as the people at my table are horrible at it. Like, I just have to be better than them. So I look at these fields and go, well, I see 20 plus percent of lineups being like no win equity whatsoever. But of course, it's hard to win these. I mean, like, you're going to have to spend a lot of money and then to bink once or twice a year. And if that doesn't happen, you're, you're sat on your couch. 
even though you look at your finishing positions and going, I just was on the bad side of variance for the entire year. And that's perfectly that that can happen. So I'm like, okay, how do I further reduce my risk and still make the same amount of money? Well, maybe, maybe I should focus on these singles three max contests. It's slightly different strategy, but I, I still know the strategies. I I'm still going to do it. And then, and then assess it at some point, whether it be 33 days from now, whether it be three months from now, whether it be a year from now, at some point you're going to have to come and say, is this the best way? Is this the best way to allocate my bankroll? And based on what you're doing, like me, I don't have to worry about at lock. Like I don't do a show before lock. I don't have content before. I don't do, I don't do any of that. I'm in Roto Grinders discord. So I'll post like Trey Young's out blah, 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 and then go back to my lineups type of thing. But you're running stuff for other people. Like the projections team at Roto Grinders, like they're they're changing projections like every three minutes. Like, do they have time to put in a hundred lineups on top of that? Probably not. So I have that luxury. So I'm looking at it from a perspective of if I want to go back to playing a hundred lineups, like I can. But is it is it a good thing to throw in the towel thirty three days in from what I'm doing? Like currently, you know, I'm doing well in these single entry three max. But it could be three months from now. I'm like, yeah, outside of those two two big hits, like I I don't think I'm building good enough lineups, and I'm gonna go back to nutso playing in the in the because it's a balance. Like when you play single entry man, like that's why I looked at my finishing positions, and it seems like I'm build. It seems like a lot of times I'm building two safe lineups, right? In large field, I'm used to like, oh, I want to fade the eighty percent on guy in some lineups. Go ahead. But in like the small field stuff, it's like, what's the point? I'll find leverage elsewhere. And then I take a look at my ownership sum or product or whatever. And just look through the contest and go, yeah, this is, is this a little too chalky? And then it comes in like 121st place and be like, like, yeah, like, yeah, I know I'm in cash. Great. But like that, maybe the lineup didn't have the highest win equity because I played too much of the chalk. But judging that over 33 days to me is too small of a sample size, but at least I'm on the positive end. So I, I, I have hope I have like that. Maybe I do have more edge here than I do in large field for a large field contest. James, you need such a large sample size that like 33 days is nothing, no. but based on your process, you, 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 if you, you believe the process is that the process in and of itself it has lower edge than small field just just due to the fact of managing all of that a lot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and when when I look through and I see that I have had a couple shots, that's cool. But at, with, with all the news and with all the news that we have had so far, you and I both know that as soon as we get into February and March, it's not going to get better. It just gets worse. <laughs> The news doesn't get better. We don't start getting less guys resting. We don't start getting less guys injured. Like the, those kinds of things. And at, at this point, and I, I always say that the first month and the last month of the season, I think are where you are. If, if you are a very good player, you should be having a lot of your play in the first and last month. But for most people, you should be dropping down your exposure in the first and last month because the especially the last month, like there's so much variance that gets added on to less predictable outcomes that 
now that we're getting into this February and March, it's probably just not smart for me to be MMEing if my process, I don't think, is good enough to be competing in those large field contests. So because I need to be honest with myself, I'll probably just go back to playing the $100, $152 single entry three max stuff and focusing more on my content, focusing more on getting ready for MLB. And then I'll try to jump back in for MLB because as somebody who wants to be the best player that I can be, I do need to practice my MME. I do need to practice my process on that so that I can continue to be able to give out good advice on it. If anything else, just to experiment to see what is good and what is bad. But from a ROI standpoint, just doesn't seem like it's something that I should be doing this, this NBA season. And that's okay. Right. You're, you're looking at your, your goal is to make money. Yep. Not, not to, I mean, that, that, that's the first goal should be to be profitable and then to maximize your profit to the extent that you can while minimizing your risk. Like that's to me, that's the gold standard. I think that's the gold standard of most people that want to play DFS seriously. It's not a, yes, there's some people that their goal is to, I need, I want to win the Millie maker. Okay. That's a fine goal to have, but is it an attainable goal? Yeah. Yeah. You, you're either going to attain your goal or you're going to lose a lot of money in the process. And if you're fine with that, that's fine. Fine. That's your goal. My goal is I want to be able to make, I've always said, can I make between 50 and $75,000 a year playing DFS without having very little risk of going broke, right? Like I'm, so I maximize for not going broke a lot of times more so than like, well, I could play 10 lineups in the 888 today. I could, I could also lose $10,000 today. Which, 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 which do I want more than the other? Like, no, I want more to not lose $10,000. So, so I'm not going to be playing those contests. Maybe yes. If I had a $2 million bankroll, then that's not, not a big deal, but I don't have a $2 million bankroll. So when I get there, right, I'm more like, I, I'm fine. I'll get to the $2 million bankroll 10 years from now. Okay. I'm, I'm perfectly, if, if I could do that, I, I, I got it made. I don't need it. I don't need, I don't need all the money right now, but we have, uh, in the YouTube chat, hit the thumbs up button. I know on Mondays we do more of these kind of general evergreen type of episodes, right? Because we, we had Sunday slate yesterday. It's a 10 game slate tonight, folks. Does it matter at 1146 in the morning? We know that anything we say right now is you could just throw out about five hours from now, right? On a 10 game slate. I mean, sometimes we see that on three game slates, but at least three games, you have the less. Okay, it's more likely that not much stuff is going to happen. Today, who knows? It's 10 games. We don't even know if there's going to be 10 games. But uh, Chris L. in the chat asks, you would say you would expect to lose 90% of the time in MME. How would you adjust that expectation for single entry? It's the same. It's It doesn't matter. It's the same thing. Take Think, think logically. Most GPPs pay out the top like 24%, right? And typically the first... That first four is like 1.5x, right? You don't even get to like a 2x payout until like the 18th percent point. But still, if they pay out 24%, if everyone was equal and all the entries were equal, your expectation would be to lose 76% of the time, right? If everything was equal, right? Now, if you're building lineups that have high win equity, they also have high variance, which means while having high win equity, they have high like last place equity also. So your, your, your finishing positions 
are more likely to be like a concave type of type of curve, not a bell curve, like a stand, a normal distribution curve, the, the opposite of that. So you're more likely to get high finishes and low finishes, which means that guts out that middle range, which means like you're going to lose 90% of the time, but the 10% of the time that you win, it won't be the 1.5 X zone. It'll be in the three X plus zone. If you're building good win equity type of lineups. So that's why if you're winning, if you're profiting in GPPs, 76% of the time, if you had 24% of the time, which is like as expectation based on the payout, that probably means that you're not playing high. You're, you're, you're playing in a losing manner. You're going to bleed away your money because those min caches aren't going to make up for all your entries. So even if you're winning, losing 76% of the time, like you're more likely to lose money than if you're losing 90% of the time, right? If you're losing 90% of the time, obviously if you'll take a look at your finishing positions and it's all in the back, that means now, now you're just an awful player. I mean, that like there's a difference between losing 90% of the time because you're playing players that are injured or only playing three minutes on the court and losing 90% of the time playing lineups that I came in seventh once. And I came in 12th another time, right? Those types of things. Because one first place finish wipes out like all your losses and then gives you three times the amount of profit. So your goal is to build lineups that have high win equity and low win equity. These barbell, your, your graph should look more like a barbell, which, which will naturally mean that 90 plus percent of the time that you lose. But the 10% of the time that you do win makes up for it. It, But since you're losing 90% of the time, James, you know how that feels. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, well, I, I tell everybody in my community that you, you shouldn't, I, I never build a GPP lineup expecting to uh, like make money. I, I, I build- Plus, plus you're expecting, well, you're expecting oh, no, 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 to, no. to win. Let me finish that thought. I never build a GPP lineup and say that, let, let me let me rephrase that. Yeah, you're, you're not you're not building a GPP lineup going. If I get that min cash, I'm yeah, successful. Yeah, right? I I always build a GPP lineup one being okay to lose that money and two never really expecting to min cash because if I min cash to me that's that's a failure. Like yeah, cool. I I made 1.5x, but I know that over time if that keeps happening, I'm not going to make any money. In fact, I'll lose money because I'm going to be losing money to rake. I'm not going to be cashing the vast majority of my lineups if I min cash with my strategy, it, it doesn't mean anything to me. That, that's a loss to me. So I'm always building lineups to try to finish in the top 5%, 1% or finish last. I finish last like a lot, dude. It, especially in NFL, I finish last quite a bit um, because the way that I build my strategy is I, I'm not building a lineup that I hope cashes. I'm building a lineup that'll make me the most money when it does cash. I'm, I'm building with a strategy where if the things that go my way or the things that I need to go, go my way, I make a lot more money than if I were to build something that goes my way more often, but doesn't make me as much. So I'm always trying to maximize the amount of money that I can make off my lineups, especially in single entry, because what a lot of people do in single entry is they'll throw their cash lineup in or they'll throw in the safest lineup that they have because they only have one lineup. So they, they have to hope that they cash with their one lineup. I don't care about that. Like 
in, in single entry, that's an even better opportunity for me to be different and for me to leverage the field in these high leverage points, because if that fails, so many more people have it in single entry than they do in MME that I pass a vast majority more of the field. I have more relative value in my lineup fading somebody that is 70, 75% owned in those single entry stuff. If I deem them as fadeable, like there's a difference in that. And like, we, we talked through that a little bit in the expected value of the plays in the book theorydfs.com. But with me, I've gained more relative value in single entry and three max in leveraging those high leverage points than I do in the MME. And so I, I accept more variance in those single entry stuff. Um, because like, I don't want to min cash. I don't care about min cashing. I would rather lose 90% of the time and have one bink and, you know, make 15, $20,000 in that one day, rather than losing 76, 80% of the time and having min caches where I like slowly bleed out. That's just, you, you shouldn't play GPPs to min cash ever, ever. Right. You should be, you're always looking to win first place. Yeah. Not, and it, if you're concerned about, well, I'm going to put a hundred dollars worth of entries and I may, I may get zero back and that's going to cause me to go nuts. Like that, that either means that you're playing above your bankroll or that you, that mentally, mentally, you're not, it's very similar to poker. If you're going to tilt too much at the table, it's going to throw off all your profit. I mean, you're going to, you're going to tilt away so much of your profit uh, the next day, right? You have, you have, you have uh, players, right? I see it in the Roto Grinders Discord all the time. You know, you play Lamarcus Aldridge, and he puts up seven points. And you're like, never again, never again. And then, like, he's down to like 4,900, and like uh, Keldon Johnson's out. And they're like, nope, can't play Lamarcus Aldridge. Doesn't matter. I know he projects well, can't play him. Seven points. It doesn't matter. Who cares? Right? Or, or that, or, or, or people that, uh, I lost a lot of money yesterday. So now I'm going to play the 888 to try to win it back. Uh, right? like that type of like, these are the ways that even good players tilt away their money. They just tilt it away. Just like I, I couldn't, I go on swings all the time. I go on 30 K down swings. I look and I go, I hope this, I hope this turns around. And it always does. Even though at the time it's like, you're in the black, you're in the black hole of just like, you know, you know, like get out. You ever see that movie? Kind of like you're just down and that little mirror is all like, I don't know if I'm ever going to get out of here type of thing. Someone else has my body type of thing. And then, and I have to remember like, oh, this has happened to me before. And every single time I end up on, on the, I end up on the bright side of life at some point. But I, at once you figure out you're at that moment, you can't start like, well, I need to get myself out of this moment. I need to get myself out of this mentality of this psychological depressed type of state. And I'm going to do anything I can to do so. So I'm going to play the Thunderdome today. And I'm just going to make it all back at once. Like this is, this is, this is how you go broke. You're going to have to, you're going to have to drop down in stakes and work your way, work your way back up. We could take a look. Look, I remember I said uh, on the theory of DFS podcast, uh, which is every Tuesday. You can subscribe on, on, on iTunes for that. That I had a downswing in the beginning of last year in NBA and then COVID happened. And then I, I wasn't able to make that up. If we take a look, if we go to my graph of NBA lifetime. So this is my current year, current season, all time. 
Well, one, you look at that. Oh my God, James, look what happened. Went on this downswing, right? Right, all the way down to, you know, to tw right, July 31st, right? I don't know when there was NBA on the 31st, I guess. Somewhere around there, it's still NBA, it says NBA, right? So I went on a downswing of what? From a 181 to 160, yeah, about 20,000. Oh, look at that. Now, now I'm back to where, now I'm back to where I was. Like things turn around, right? Of course I had to dig myself out of it. And then eventually, you know, I'm, I'm assuming that, you know, then I'm gonna see myself up in this zone by the end of the year. And then uh, there's gonna be a point in which I'm gonna go down like 20,000 and I'm gonna be like, uh, all I have to do is look, look at this. Look, I 17, not like all over here. And I went all like just bleeding away, bleeding, you know, like bleeding away, bleeding away, up, 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 I'm good. Bleeding away, up, up, good. You know, like all that, this is what a GPP player's graph kind of looks like. People, people, people could, it, it seems like a lot of people don't realize that. I mean, most, I'd say most DFS players that play don't, but even though, even the ones that subscribe to a place like Roto Grinders, premium subscription, $10 off your first month, click on the link in the description. Like even they don't realize, once you start looking at your graphs, you can get this at rotocracker.com. You could also do this type of stuff in Excel. You could build your own. There's, there's some, some other sites out, but a Roto Tracker is, is to me the best because most full featured. Once you start taking a look at this, you start seeing the reality of your play. Start identifying leaks. Start, start seeing, uh, am I entering too many uh, double ups at a certain price range, certain field size. But of course you want a large sample size. So a 33 day sample size is not, is nothing you should be like dramatically changing what you're doing, but you should be looking at it over time. And then at maybe after 33 days you go, maybe those, uh, maybe those 11 man, $25 double ups aren't, Aren't for maybe I should be entering more of the five band large field. Maybe I should maybe I should be playing more head to heads, and you don't like necessarily have to turn it on a switch. But you could just say it's like okay now when I'm going into the contest lobby on DraftKings, I'm I'm looking to build up these these twenty man fifty fifties instead of going into the fifty dollar hundred and thirteen man double ups. So you let them sit. Maybe you don't enter them immediately. You just go, I'm going to just let them sit there and I'm going to try to enter as many of these $5 20, uh, 50 50s and see if I can get to the volume that I need for the percentage of the bankroll that I'm playing. Then once I get to the point in which there's, uh, there's no other contest, I, I, my, my allocation, I still need $100 more to fulfill my allocation. And my last $100 goes into the two of those $50, 113-man doubles. But if I could find better action that based on my rotor tracker shows a better return, I should focus on those first. On FanDuel, you're going into the 100 man, the 50-50 the lobby, and you're going, like, I'm going to try to fill up on these 100 mans as much as possible, even if they're $25 100 mans, before I get into a $2 20 man, right? Because you could look on Tracker and see, like, based on this, I have a better expectation on the bigger fields, regardless of the stakes. So maybe I'm playing a $50, $100 100 man 50 50 rather than a $2 20 man and filling those up and filling, you know, 50 of those up and just playing one of those. You can't, you wouldn't be able to make those choices without, without looking at, at your results. 
So even for cash games, for GPPs, looking at your results, sculpting your play, your contest selection and your play based on it. I mean, if you're not, if you're not doing this, you're not, you're not serious. Like, like I, you're not serious about gaining an edge. Like, obviously if you're the best player in the world, you're you have an edge at every contest. So like, if you want to bleed some EV in places, just because you don't want to spend the hour a week to do this, that's up to you. I'm a nit. If I could get, if I can get an extra 0.2% somewhere, I'm going to try to get the extra 0.2% somewhere because my goal is to never have a real job ever again. So if I can make an extra, if one little thing can make me an extra three grand, it's like, that's fucking two, two mortgage payments. Right? Yeah. And that's, you know, your, your goals align with being able to find those 2%. And I, I think that I said it before we started the show, but I think that there are a lot of good players, good intermediate DFS players that don't have Roto Tracker that could be making a lot more money. They could be doing a lot better just by going and getting a Roto Tracker account, putting in your history and finding what you're good at and what you're not good at. There are a lot of players that don't take it as seriously as they should that are probably missing out on doing significantly better. Um, that there are a lot of people that are good GPP players or are really good cash game players that don't maximize the kinds of GPPs or cash games that they should be playing simply because they don't know that they're significantly better at one over the other. So go to, like, I, I tell everybody in my community to go get a Roto Tracker account. If you want to be a better player, if you want to fill your gaps, if you want to fill your holes, one, go get the theory of DFS. Two, go get a Roto Tracker account, and three, start improving your play. Uh, that that is where I would tell anybody who wants to start being better to start it is with those two first steps. Right, and you could pick up our masterclass, Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports, fifteen-hour audio masterclass, how to think like a professional DFS player. All these concepts are covered in in the course. Like we we talk about risk management. I mean, it's like half of that is talking about what you're looking at. And things like Roto Tracker, assessing uh, your 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 diversification in contests, like we see even in in the Roto Grinders Discord, which you could get as a premium member, that I they take a look at my my trackable cash game stuff on, on my spreadsheet, and they'll look and they'll see like last night they'll go well on DraftKings, like I put in nine fifteen I get seventeen thirty six fifty back for an eight hundred and twenty one dollar profit which is an 89% return. And they'll, they'll go, well, I played, I, I played like the same lineup as you. And, and yeah, I put in 200 and only got back like 315 for like a 60% like ROI. It's like, why, why are you making more of a return than me? It's like, well, we'll take a look at your contest selection that you, that you put in. And then they noticed that like they played two $50 head to heads against someone that beat them. Like that was the, basically the difference. Like they won every other contest, but they lost like some higher stakes head to head. And yeah, there you go. It said, 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 if you're only playing like, if you're only playing $400, why are you playing two $50 head to heads? Right. Against the same person, right. It's like they posted to, right. They posted two $50 head to heads in the lobby, didn't set a limiter of one and then had the same person scoop them twice and beat them with a one point higher score. So it's like they beat everyone else in the lobby except for this one person. But that one person took a hundred bucks off of you instead of you winning 
a hundred bucks. So that's a $200 swing. And it was only due to the fact of like, why you, if you're having $400 worth of volume, why you, why you, why are you playing 12.5% of it in one contest against the same person when you could it at worst limit it so you're only playing one $50 head to head? But truthfully, if you're playing $400 worth of volume, probably shouldn't, shouldn't even be playing $50 head to heads unless you see someone in the lobby that you think you're way better than and you take their game, but you're not posting up for some better player to take your game. So that's the difference. And imagine doing that every day. So like that person, I'm, it's a theoretical person. This hasn't actually happened, but I'm just saying that this would be an example of imagine doing that every day. And instead of having a 90% return on your cash games, you're having a 70% return on your cash games. Now play that over 180 slates, 200 slates. You'll see that. And especially if you're playing a percentage of your bankroll, that's going to be, that's going to now end up being exponentially different because while you're, you're, you put like, if I was in your spot playing $400 and getting 600 back and getting that person gets 550 back and I get 750 back. Like I now add that to my bankroll, which then makes my 10% bigger than yours. So over the course of 200 slates, if you're giving up that edge, every single slate by poor contest selection, You'll be profitable at the end of the year, right? At the end of the season, you'll show me, you'll be like, oh, I have a, overall, I took my X bankroll and I got 1.75 return, right? Right, I had a $10,000 bankroll and I made $7,500. And I'll be like, well, based on my figures, if I, if I literally did the same thing that you did and just had better contest selection based on looking through Rotor Tracker and seeing where the edge lies in my play, I would have taken the $10,000 and ended up with $35,000 at the end. It's like, how is it so much different? Yeah, because it's exponentially, if I'm playing 10% each and every time, you're missing out on like a hundred bucks, like every slate. And that's going to amount to a lot over time. So so I, I, I don't want to, poo- you know, I know I say that, yes. Do you have to be such of a nit to go through and look for these, you know, 0.2% here and 0.5% there? But it adds up like the, this stuff adds up. And then when you put a real life value on the money, which is not something that is, is great for when you play, you don't think in terms of I lost a car payment, right? You, you shouldn't think in those terms because then you tend to not play well. But at the end of the year, if you're like, well, based on the extra five minutes of work a day and the extra one hour of work a week, ended up being you know like a a trip to hawaii or something like that well then maybe you should be doing it is that a better way of putting it i think i think from a reward standpoint putting the real life value of money into something i think is more of an incentive than saying like do you want an extra 1.8 percent return and they go i can't i it's too abstract of like i do but uh i don't know it's like well do you want to do you want to buy a new car every year? They're like, well, yeah. It's like, well, this is all you have to do. Well, it's all you have to do if you're a good player. Well, obviously, it all starts with you being a good player. Obviously, I'm but but talking like once 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 you have everything down. Obviously, finding the extra one percent edge doesn't matter if you're already a negative five percent type of play. Well, it's it'll matter. It just means you'll lose a little less. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I I do like the idea of relating things to real life value. I always make the joke of like now now that I've been playing DFS for such a long time, whenever we go and like go splurge a little bit and go buy some stuff at you know we're, we go to the mall and we buy some things. I'm like, oh, I've I've lost more money on the Marlins. You know, I, I like making those connections to real life things. So it the, there is a double edged sword for sure. Um, I, I think that you have to have the mental aspect of DFS down before you can start relating things to real life stuff. You, you don't want to be thinking, oh, I like I, I could make a trip to Hawaii with the extra five minutes a day. But then you can kind of like lead yourself to saying that you lost a car payment last week. And I think that like that that mental balance is right. But you're right that you if you can give yourself something to visualize, visualization is everything in life in visualizing your goals. And if you can visualize that goal to Hawaii, if all that takes is an extra hour a week, that that's a pretty good deal to me. Yeah. So, so are we, we're both, hopefully t- things turn around from you and, and we could, we could both meet each other in Hawaii. Well, I, I'm not going anywhere until, until I'm vaccinated. I ain't leaving. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> but, uh, if you're on YouTube, if you like this type of stuff, obviously we didn't talk about today's slate, but this is kind of what we do every Mondays with McCool. James McCool, paydirt underscore DFS on Twitter. The co-author with me of the theory of daily fantasy sports. If you like this type of content, this is we we kind of we did a, a little little application of, of part of part of the course. So you could go to theoryofdfs.com and uh and, and pick that up. And it's 15 hours of me and James in your pocket. So if you if you like if you like these types of things, how to how to be a good DFS player, strategically, money management, everything, uh, just how to think like like a pro would think. If you're looking to eke out as much edge, as much advantage as you can out of the DFS market, theoryofdfs.com/slash masterclass. Yeah, you always have me. People listen to it multiple times. I've gotten to, I, I'm on my fourth listen. It's very similar to poker books. When I, when I played poker, you read a book once, do you go play? Then a month later, you read it again and you start picking up, okay, I'm not doing this as much. Or, and it takes a while for concepts to cement in your head and like, oh, now I see. Now I start seeing it better. And then even you could, a year from now, you'd be like, I'll listen to it again. Like, oh, yeah, you're right. I do do that. Oh, and then you'd play again. So it, it's, it'll, it's, it's a last a lifetime. It's evergreen. As long as DFS is around with the same format that it's in, you could this this will be applicable ten years from now. So, go pick it up and hit that thumbs up on your way out the door. I'm Jordan Cooper at Blender HD on Twitter. Tonight we got R- Grinders Live uh, coming up on the channel. Big ten game slate. Who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? Tune into that. Hit the notification bell to know when we go live. And then crunch time for premium members, which you could always get by clicking on the link in the description, getting 10, 10 bucks off. And, uh, and, and until, until next Monday, James, I'll see you next Monday. But I'll see everyone else tomorrow on another edition of the DFS pregame show here at rotogrinders.com. <laughs>